Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Peter Locker, you've been running Los Angeles Modern Auctions for the last 22 years. Your business is expanding, and you've recently moved into a new space. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, sure, it's my pleasure. As we speak, I'm in a construction zone as they're uh, building me a new office in my uh, space in Van Nuys. Just to start, could you take us through how you got into this business? Yeah, sure. Uh, the business was started by my brother. My late brother uh, uh, became a dealer in the early 80s, and um, by uh, 1986, I joined him as a as a partner, and we were basically... Uh, wholesalers and pickers, uh, we were probably um, very similar to uh, the American pickers that you see on uh, on TV. In fact, uh, it's really fun to see some of the places that they go and look for things. My brother and I used to hit the same spots, same junk shops and uh, stores uh, 30 years ago. Does seeing them go to those places make you tempted to go back? <laughs> no. Um, no, because the... Um, the material that's in those same places now are, is not the type of material that I deal in today. Uh, one thing Llama has, has become is uh, a sort of marketplace for you know, higher-priced uh, item. We're not selling so many sort of collectibles and uh, things that we used to sell at flea markets, but now we're selling pieces to a higher end client and um, our the average piece that we're selling now uh, winds up coming from uh, from collections and collectors, and not not very often from uh, uh, the sources that uh, pickers are using anymore. Is that because you were essentially able to trade up as collectibles and modern furniture rose in value? Yeah, we used to have uh, regular sales and auctions of uh, pieces in all different price points, but I think. Uh, one of our biggest goals is to try to keep a small, tight, dedicated staff, and we found that the more you sell volume-wise and uh, the more you try to cater to all price points, you have to have a lot more staff, and if you're going to have uh, fewer staff, you really need to focus just on one segment, and, and we're unfortunately having to say uh, goodbye to a lot of the uh, uh, lower priced pieces that we that we love, but can't um, we can't fill the sale with them because it doesn't make sense. So what makes sense now? Is it still furniture and art? No, I think uh, furniture and art has always been our thing, and we've uh, always preferred not to separate them. There's most other auction houses will have separate departments run by se- separate people. Um, one department for prints, one department for modern art, one department for furniture. Um, we think that all of these pieces work together and have such a strong crossover appeal that it's better to show them all in context together. And I'm really happy to put a piece of art on one page and a piece of furniture that actually has you know, some relation to it on the opposite page in my catalog um, because I feel like it enhances both items and it's very likely that the work of art sells to a furniture collector and vice versa. So are your buyers taking the cues from the catalog and you know trading up on the suggestions or the ideas that you're giving them uh, or are they coming looking for specific pieces because a whole separate 
part of what you've been doing lately is bringing very market-leading artists uh, to auction. I'm thinking of the very successful sales you've had of Ruth Asawa, uh, Vijay Selmans, and I believe you've got a substantial Mike Kelly uh, coming up very soon. Yeah, well, um, I think uh, the first part of your question was, you know, is people are people collecting specifically, or are they decorating, or or are they trading up? I mean, there are so many different reasons why they're buying, why the clients come to the, our sale. Some people are dedicated collectors who have always been looking for that one piece, but, but um, the trick I think is to include everyone. You know, if you cater just to hardcore collectors. Um, there's a lot of pieces that'll slip through the cracks and won't won't get uh, any attention. If you cater just to the people who are uh, trading up, then maybe you don't have anything for the beginner uh, clients to pick up. Uh, we like to think that we can attract everybody for every reason uh, that are that's interested in modernism. Um, and even though I said we're trying. Uh, to stay away from the lower price points, we still have a number of those pieces in the sale. It's just the percentage of the sale for works under $5,000, for example, um, is uh, getting a little smaller. You know, it used to be 90% of our sale was under $5,000. Now, probably 10% of our sale is under $5,000. Um, and we never want to let go of that segment completely because we want to keep the new young uh, collectors interested in being part of the process. The latter part of your question about, you know, these uh, higher priced uh, pieces like the Kelly and the Selmans uh, that we're getting, you know, are again there to bring in the more seasoned uh, collectors, the collectors with um, uh, more to spend, obviously. Uh, and um, we think it's important to have the billionaire client and the client who can only spend, you know, a few hundred dollars uh, both in, in the same room at the same time, looking at the material, it, it certainly um, is very attractive for the younger collectors to know that they're buying something up of the same quality because it's in the same auction. You know, it's a vetted uh, work of art that we have included, just the same way as that Mike Kelly piece might be. Uh, it's just an uh, a $800 uh, print instead of a $800,000 drawing. Talk to me a little bit more about the younger clients. What, what are they like? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about the young clients that are coming in now, and I'm seeing a tremendous amount of 20-somethings, and, uh, the most interesting thing to me is that they still think that mid-century modern uh, furniture and modern design and you know vintage modern art is uh, really uh, uh, cool, you know, uh, basically. I mean, they they, uh, they started buying these types of things from me uh, in the 80s as uh, 20-something-year-olds uh, and 30-something-year-old baby boomers. And um, this is now, you know, almost we're getting into the third generation of buyers who are still in their 20s that still like this material. And I think that says a lot because these young collectors are going to spend the next uh, 20 to 40 years moving up the ladder and buying other things within this field. And, you know, that is 
a sustainable group of, uh, of buyers for the future. Um, there's been a lot of problems with segments of, of uh, design and antiques where you get people who were very interested in um, arts and crafts furniture in the 70s and 80s. Uh, that segment of those those buyers have gotten much older now over the last 35, 40 years, and there hasn't been a new young group of of buyers coming up saying, "Oh, I want to buy Mission, uh, you know, Stickley, you know, furniture." So the the entry level pieces uh, go for very little because there isn't a market for it. People aren't looking for that material, and so you really nope. uh, only see the very high end pieces of arts and crafts going up in value and the lower price pieces are going down. In the modernism and the mid-century side, you're seeing uh, these lower entry-level pieces continuing to go up and rise in value because you've got a whole new generation of young people coming in wanting it. So what's the education process like for these young collectors? How are they learning about these specific modern designers and their works? I think they're getting it from um, shelter magazines. They're getting it from the Internet. They can learn and research it very quickly on the Internet, unlike the uh, young baby boomers who started buying it in the 80s. They just thought it was cool, and they actually remembered it. They remembered these things growing up. And they, uh, in the 80s, they started to have a little bit of extra income, and they were going and buying and nesting and wanted to buy some of these things that they remember the people down the block you know, had when they were growing up. This younger crowd now doesn't have that same kind of connection or me- to the period or the memory of it, but they have seen it reinforced over the last 10, 15, 20 years in movies and in television series and in um, uh, shelter magazines and on, online and the you know, dozens and hundreds of books uh, and uh, museum catalogs on the subject. So uh, – it has become, you know, saturated in people's, uh, you know, recognition, uh, and I think that that's one of the reasons why uh, the young group is the young uh, collectors are uh, are so eager. So the arts and crafts people need a better publicist. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it 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 it's all it that type of material I think looks great in. In an entire collection, if you if you buy a little craftsman house and you want to uh, put craftsman furniture in it, you pretty much have to go all craftsman. The nice thing about modern design interiors is that you know you can really put so many different things. You can mix uh, some classical and some modern and even some arts and crafts pieces into um, uh, a lot of the modern interiors, and there just aren't as many. Uh, craftsman bungalows being sold and traded as there are, you know, post-war, mid-century modern houses that are being bought and sold and available. So uh, I think a lot of those people started collecting arts and crafts because they bought the bungalow and they were uh, restoring it. And people are buying mid-century modern still because they're still buying uh, these mid-century modern houses, of which there's probably, you know, a hundred times more mid-century modern units and houses to be had than there are arts and crafts, you know, units. Well, modern works have also been incorporated into an eclectic style in a way that nothing else has. I mean, it it fits in almost any decorating style at this point. Yeah, I used to have a little file on my desk in my old gallery on La Brea 
in Los Angeles back in the uh, in the 80s, where when I saw a modern piece of furniture in a shelter magazine, I'd rip that page out and put it in this file and say, you know, I'll just show this to people when I have that chair, when if I have this Arne Yakasim chair, or if I have this Charles Eames chair or whatever, I'll say, look, you know, this is published in so-and-so's house in this magazine. And um, I stopped uh, doing that about, uh, you know, 10, 15 years because now it's impossible to pick up a shelter magazine where every single interior that they're publishing, you know, has multiple uh, modern pieces. So, you know, the, they've really reinforced how interesting and beautiful and visual the material that we sell is. And it, I don't have to speak of of its virtues anymore because it's already ingrained in everybody's psyche. I think you know um, I do very little salesmanship. Now it's just about you know getting the good uh, pieces um, that people want, uh, and I spend all my time and effort sourcing good material instead of trying to sell it because it really is selling itself through all of this media attention that it's gotten in the last decade or two. So let's go back to the sourcing. What, what do you do to source material? Well, we have a very long track record of, of selling good material. So there is a very strong word of mouth out there. Um, almost all of the uh, trusts and estates communities that are dealing with uh, estates that come up um, very quickly find out about us if it, there's a modern interior. Um, we typically get called along with uh, some of the more national auction houses. And uh, if the house is mostly modern, we have a pretty strong chance of beating the other uh, companies uh, for, to this material because we specialize in it and we have a better track record and higher uh, price records for many of the items. So. When it comes to decision making, trust and estates attorneys and people who are in the business of transferring uh, real property uh, tend to know that you know we specialize in this material and they're better off going with us than someone else. Uh, that's one way. And then there's um, in professionals inside the business, like for example the Selmans um, uh, that we had uh, last year. Uh, came to us from uh, an art dealer who dealt in a different segment of the art world and um, uh, came across this piece in a client's uh, collection and uh, thought that we would be the best uh, place for it because um, the work was originally created in Los Angeles and we've always let it be known that if it's modern art that was made in Los Angeles, we certainly want to uh, be the first stop, you know, that somebody considers for that. So tell me a little bit more about art in L.A., because you get the impression that it's more democratic, maybe less status-oriented, almost more decorative. Yeah, I think uh, that that's definitely been part of our secret, is that we've uh, kept our brand uh, and our uh, auction room accessible to, to people. And I think there's a lot of people who think of the larger auction houses and they just don't feel like they belong there because you ask a lot of people uh, about those types of brands and they say, oh, those types of people are you know wealthy or they're uh, socialites or they drive you know Rolls Royces and that sort of thing. And it, it, it couldn't be farther from the truth, but you know those brands have have continued to push the whole idea that they are this you know upper uh, uh, upper class sort of um, 
market. And we feel like we want the market to be accessible to everybody. And so the democratic nature, like you mentioned, or the um, the domestic nature of uh, buying a really important painting, uh, we believe, uh, should be um, the same as buying uh, a piece of furniture or a good piece of design, and and vice versa. I mean, if you're going to be buying design, you should be able to look at that work as a piece of art or a piece of sculpture. So is that a big enough market to sustain you? Can you stay a Los Angeles auction house, or do you need to become a national one? Well, it's twofold. Uh, from the consignment area uh, point of view, we are a Los Angeles auction house. We get most of our consignments and source that locally because we want to represent fresh uh, estate material. That's our goal. Um, however, the flip side of that is uh, selling it. We have to market it to a, a international, global community. So, yes, we're a very tight-knit part of the Los Angeles art community because everybody who has a gallery or a business, if they're in art law or if they're in, uh, you know, trust in estates or if they're appraising, everybody knows that they can use us as a resource uh, here locally. But uh, top collectors in New York and London and uh, Asia and um, across the U.S. Uh, know that we're a really great place to buy this good, fresh material. Um, so um, it's uh, it's kind of you know part of our business is trying to make sure the local market understands that we're you know an integral part of the LA art scene. But the other part is you know making sure that. Uh, we have the attention of the entire global uh, art world because you can't get the highest prices for a Selman's or an Asawa or a Mike Kelly, you know, just by selling it locally. You have to be much broader than that on the sales side. Well, globally is where the growth is going to come from. Yeah, and I think that uh, we've been talking about this a lot lately in-house, that uh, the one thing that the Internet uh, has done for us, it, it, it's rendered location obsolete. Uh, it used to be 25 years ago that you had to be in a high-rent district, in a, an arts district where people knew where to go to buy um, art and design. That's why you have, you know, the bigger brands uh, at places like Rockefeller Center and, you know, in uh, the on Bond Street in London and in these very recognizable high-end districts. Um, we're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of these bigger brands, uh, getting exactly the same uh, prices and, in some cases, higher prices out of a nondescript warehouse in Van Nuys, California. Uh, and how is that possible? I mean, it, it's possible because we can micro-market our works that we're able to represent. I think that's, you know, another uh, kind of secret to our success. Well, that sounds like the perfect way to, to, to stop because uh, your success has been uh, impressive. Uh, Peter, thank you for taking the time with me. Sure, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 